0: It was a situation where I was working for a client that had an absolute amazing project. I was so excited to be a part of it. But I performed the feasibility study and I was able to see very quickly that this pers- this entity was not going to be able to do the project that they wanted to do. And I really had already seen some consultants who had already charged their full fee for a project that literally no one had checked to see if they could afford to do it before they spent all of the money on the design. And so, I stepped back away from the project. And that was a scary thing for me to do because it's always nice to know you've got one really nice project to talk to your students about or one that's putting the paycheck in the bank and all of that. And the very next day, a, a beautiful big project came in for me and it's going to be so much more fun. It's going to be exciting. It's going to put a statement in the air. Uh, so it was a huge win for me to go ahead and take that step and and really be confident in myself and know that there was going to be something that would fit me better down the road and just let it happen.
1: Corey, oh, yeah, I love you know, that story says something about you know, a a liberty that we don't have all the time in construction. A lot of times we start to have a project. As soon as there's a project type of language, people start to get really hung up and connected to this thing and they don't want to let it go. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the best jobs are the jobs that we don't have to build (laughs) or or design. What was the the red flag to you where you felt like, "Ooh, this is just I know this is not going to be what was like the thing that triggered you to say like this should go?
0: Well, I had given them a very clear understanding of what my roles and responsibilities were going to be. And they definitely wanted me to perform work outside of what I had told them that I was going to be available for. And because they kept moving in a direction that was not concurrent with my expectations and boundaries that I originally provided them, I could feel that it wasn't going to be a right fit. And so instead of dragging it out, like I said, just taking on that paycheck, um, it was just better to cut the ties because there may be, a need for me in the future. And so I certainly didn't want to be putting myself in a position where I wasn't going to be able to perform or didn't have the amount of time necessary to commit to their project the way that they were looking for me to do that. And so it was just better to be able to cut the ties, make sure everything was Um, in good standing when I left, turn over all of the information that I had generated for them up to that point in time, and then let them know that should they have any questions or need any help in the future to just give me a call.
1: All right. It's almost like you were like, you're with me this morning. I was talking about setting boundaries just today with uh, a new charge in charge of other people. And I said, if we don't set good boundary conditions early with our people, then we've just got folks meandering and meandering is not getting stuff done or helping projects come to fruition or getting the results that we want so it's i'm just loving it that you're reinforcing that i did well today by helping somebody else set and create boundaries
0: You did really well, and let let me just tell you why, because each of us have individual boundaries that we need to invite other people to understand, and those are going to be personal boundaries, but they're also going to be career boundaries, but it's a hard discussion to have in the moment, but it's even harder if they're not put in place, because to come back and tell somebody I don't like you talking to me that way, or I'm never going to be able to work past six o'clock because I have family obligations. Those are always harder conversations to have after the fact. So establishing very clear boundaries, which means that you need to understand yourself very well. You need to understand what you need in a career and in a project in order to have life and work balance to establish those uh, expectations and boundaries.
1: Welcome to the EBFC Show, the easier, better for construction podcast. I'm your host, Felipe Engineer Manriquez. This show is all about the business of construction. Today's episode is sponsored by
2: Bosch Refine My Site is a cloud-based construction collaboration platform that applies lean principles to enable your entire team to plan, communicate, and execute in real time. It's the digital tool that works in tandem with your last planner system process and puts it all together in one simple collaborative ecosystem. System. This easy to use platform is available in English, German, Spanish, Portuguese, and French and can be used on desktops, tablets, and mobile devices. According to Spencer Easton, scheduling manager at Oakland Construction,
0: Refine My Site, in my opinion, is the best, leanest tool on the market for the last minute
2: Here's what our users have to say. We've looked at three other digital scheduling platforms and none compare to the straightforward approach Refine My Site takes. From milestone planning all the way down to daily tasks, this program gives every general contractor and their trade partners meaningful collaboration, accountability, and KPIs. Register today to try Refine My Site for free for 60 days.
1: Today's show is also sponsored by the Lean Construction Institute. LCI is working to lead the building industry in transforming its practices and culture. Its vision is to create a healthy and thriving industry that delivers outstanding project outcomes every time for everyone. Check the show notes for more information. Now to the show. Welcome to the show, Corey Fisk. Corey, it is my honor to have you on the EBSC show. We came together because of social media of all places. And the thing that caught my attention, Corey, is that you're out there putting content to help project managers and project leaders have better experiences in their work. You're sharing your experiences and your wisdom with people. Please tell the people of the EBFC show a little bit about yourself. And we'll put a link to Corey's bio for an expanded version and how to get in touch with her.
0: Well, thank you and thank you for the introduction and the opportunity to be here on your show. I really do appreciate it. And I am trying to help construction managers and project managers be able to develop their skills and personal growth But I'm also here to change the perspective of construction. I think so often people think it's just a dumping grounds or an entry point with low skill sets that they can just walk into construction. And until you actually get into construction, you don't realize all of the different levels that we have the scale and the opportunities that are out there that really are aligned and equal to any other industry out there so i have been passionate about construction um, as a teacher for the last 18 years i've been teaching as a professor for construction management technology at Consumnus river community college but i also have always concurrently had a construction management job i have a class a general engineering contractors license and so i practice construction management usually on the private sector, but enough to be able to bring real life stories into my classroom for my students and be able to share with them. That's how I started. I used to work during the summers to pay my way through school, went to Texas A&M University as my whole dream to be an equine barrel racing horse trainer person. And uh, I got out of school and found out how expensive student loans were and went back to work right in construction where I was making 20 bucks an hour when I graduated. So it was a good opportunity to make some money, pay off some loans. And then all of a sudden I fell in love with the construction management side and have stayed with it. And it's paid for all of my hobbies. So it's been a really good place for me to be.
1: Yeah, people go to the show notes now because you wanna be following Corey on LinkedIn. Her content is fire and it's (laughs) gonna definitely help you have an easier time Corey, I'm just, now that I know your background, I'm going to have to dub you as the construction project whisperer because (laughs) you were, you are first doing it with horses and then you, you pivoted and moved and, and the things that you say on social media, especially on LinkedIn, it is like, it's exactly like top of mind things that we're dealing with in the industry now, especially with the, the gaps and the things that, that people need, like the skills, a lot of people listening to the show, Corey are under this uh, supposition that they're going to get some on the job training. And that is just super variable. Like Corey's laughing if you're if, <laughs> you're if you're watching this on YouTube, you can see her laughing with that comment because I know I just hit a I hit a trigger point here. So Corey, why does that make you laugh?
0: Well, it's It's not just a trigger point for me, it's a trigger point for the superintendent who gets somebody dumped on him that walks into the job trailer that day and he says, hey, you need to teach this person how to be a construction manager. The superintendent has enough stuff on their plate they're trying to take care of. They don't really need somebody shadowing them, asking them a million questions of what's going on on the job site. And so this is really um, this is an opportunity for me to really kind of promote something that I think is really important in the construction industry. Here in the next you know three to five years, we're going to be losing a significant number. And we already have lost a significant number of those senior workers who have the industry knowledge. And they're leaving because of, you know, different situations. The pandemic had a a really um, huge part of why a lot of these people were leaving. But for them to be able to come back in a part-time situation where their skill set can be used on a job site as like a quality control person, but more importantly, also to be able to keep the attitude of the project going, to keep things fresh and alive on the job, and to be there to be able to answer questions for those that are younger in the workforce, looking for some helicopter supervisory that is going to be able to handhold them through some tasks and activities Activities that they need to be able to complete. It's never easy going to your boss and saying, hey, I don't know anything about this. Can you tell me a little bit about what I'm supposed to do for my job? If you had a mentor that was explaining that to you, then you could go in even deeper and really be able to understand their perspective of how something needs to be done. The problem with this is, is most of people that are in that mentor type of situation, they don't know how to teach. They've been that grumpy guy there with the hammer that's just like, well, just watch what I'm doing and you can do it but at the same time if you sit down with that same person at lunch they're going to tell you stories about when they were 18 years old and by the time they were 18 they were walking rafters and they were putting four by fours over their shoulder and they were tearing and stripping formwork so they have the stories and so we call that generational storytelling and we've lost that in a lot of what we've done and our new workforce, they like listening to stories. They like to be able to build on top of what it is that they can learn. And if they can learn it in an easy way of listening, then it's gonna make it a lot easier for them. I absolutely love the idea of having people shadow on a job site, having interns, having apprentices, but you have to have a planned training program in mind when you're building that out. You can't just put that on the superintendent on the job site.
1: We're gonna be best friends. Because <laughs> everything you said was like when I spent the whole first half of my day going. <laughs> so like, that is incredible. Now, for people listening, I think, you know, Corey's hitting on something that a lot of people in construction might not realize. It's going to sound super obvious now that we've said it out loud. Everybody that's working already has a full-time job. Mm-hmm. And when new staff enter their project, they don't necessarily have a plan or space to teach and mentor somebody to do their job right? Because they're already doing a job. Rarely do we have projects so large that you have dedicated people to onboarding. Those projects do exist, Corey. They tend to be highly collaborative projects where there's this whole onboarding plan that the entire team goes through in every subsequent trade goes through some onboarding on those projects, but the vast majority of projects don't have stuff like that. And you have people working really hard to just keep up. And so I love that you've got that uh, ability in the classroom where you're training, Corey, and I know your students are getting just amazing benefit from hearing your stories, uh, from your experiences in the private sector, as well as in the projects that you're consulting and working with. What are some of the ways that you get engaged on jobs? Like, do, do you typically get brought in at the beginning, at the middle? at the end or when there's like a catastrophe afoot?
0: Well, I've always been the cleaner. And so once a catastrophe hits, I'm usually the one that they call to come in and be able to kind of separate everything out. I'm very good at organization management and master planning oversight on tasks that need to happen. However, Uh, when you do get into a a place in your season, in your construction season, where you're able to pick and choose, I'm choosing to be at the front end of projects so that I can actually build out an entirely successful project and not have some of the stresses and anxiety that go with having to bring something that and align it back into schedule and under budget. But um, I just want to go back real quickly to something that you were saying before. And that is too, that when We're trying to teach people that are on the job site, the new workforce that's coming in, they're not as thick skinned as some of us that were a little bit older in that work trend where you could throw one of us in the job trailer and then tell us to figure it out. And we would do whatever it took in order for us to be able to know and understand what we needed to do to help support that superintendent instead of following him around asking questions. And so, really understanding the different workforces that we're working with, because we have over five generations of people that are now working together on the job site. So, there's a conflict in the way that we talk to each other, there's a conflict in communication, comprehension, understanding. And so, really, understanding that it's not that they're lazy it's not that they um they don't want to work it's that they literally don't know how to problem solve on their own once they're able to get to that point where they can learn it then they're totally sufficient and they're able to go 100 miles an hour and work on that but the confidence without the experience of being able to move forward isn't there for them so Definitely having a thick skin and having parents that, um, you know, required that of us as kids was a benefit in the old days, but not necessarily today.
1: Yeah, Corey, you're absolutely right. And people, studies have been done on what it takes to have somebody get up to that 100 miles an hour speed. If that's your speed, like, on, let's go 55 miles an hour, Corey, let's be <laughs> let's be safe. Or, you know, to some parts of California, you can get away with, like, I think there's even some 75, but regardless... Uh, that onboarding process to get somebody comfortable and confident, like Corey said, can take anywhere from months to years. And if you don't have a plan in place, like Corey's talking about, you're going to be on the year side. So that means you've got people working in your teams that are not being utilized to the best of their talents and capabilities. And you're putting undue pressure on other people in the name of the game on the shows, easier and better. So all you need to do is reach out to Corey get in touch with her to get a plan in place. It's not that difficult. We were talking about this this morning, Corey, when I work, I work for our general contractor, the bulk company, you can see their logo, see their logo right there. And uh, we're talking about uh, some gap analysis and training is a big focus at professional development for this year and the coming year, because it's one of the countermeasures to having the generation, you've got the silent generation leaving the workforce Uh, almost completely gone. And then the boomers are are the next ones vacating a lot of positions. And what you call that knowledge they have, sometimes I've heard it referred to as tribal knowledge, and it kind of stays with them. And at the end of their career, suddenly people realize, like, how do I get this in here and in here to the next person? And you're absolutely right, Corey, it is storytelling, but it's also people having the experiences directly themselves. So I I want to dig deep on one of my favorite topics to talk about on the show: scheduling. Oh, where where in scheduling do you see assumptions versus like good practices, and like and some gaps? Because I think a lot of people assume that if I have a if I have a piece if I have a several sheets of paper that have like green, blue, and red bars on it, I've got a sufficient schedule. What would you say to that, Corey? <laughs>
0: For sure. The first thing that I'm going to do, and I was actually just talking to someone about it today, is the master plan to me 100% is the very first place you go. You always start with the end in mind. If you're able to start with the end in mind and do a back pass, then it's going to very quickly show some of the problems that you're going to have in that project. And you being able to understand if you have the right skilled work manpower in that area, if you have the right equipment, if uh, you have the right separation, if things are going to be working over the top of each other or what have you. So in working through and identifying a schedule, having a master plan in place and then backpass doing a backpass on that is going to be critical in order to be able to bring to light any of those potential issues or problems.
1: You must be saying you had that that just came so natural off your tongue. <laughs> so that, for everyone listening, she has a process in order to make sure that the master schedule is good. And then that backwards pass, for all my lean nerds out there, my lean construction change makers, that backwards pass is one of the first or second steps in last planner system of production controls or pool planning, is to take a phase and work backwards through it to catch all these things like band power or material, machinery, methods. And we'll add an S to that for space. Like Corey mentioned, you know, people, what is the space? Because there are limits to like space. That's a real concern that you've got to factor in. And then of course, another S we want to get super four S, four N's with a long S safety as well, so that we can plan for safe environments and safe conditions for folks. Where do you see people, like what's a common thing you see with schedules being less than good?
0: Well, everybody always wants to get through the design first, right? They want to see what it is that we're building. And I I mean, so much so that we might not even have a budget in place when that's done. And that's ridiculous. Like, how do you possibly even know how to build a scope of work for your architect or designer if they don't know the cost of which they're designing to? And so having that master plan, yeah, is just so important. But one of the things that I want to to relay in what it is that you were just saying again is for some of those people who might not be far along in their construction management career yet, but they're thinking that this is somewhere that they wanna go. Literally, if you can manage your life you can manage a project it's no different than us making goals for personal achievements that we want to go through and then backstepping to understand what it is that we're going to have to do on a daily basis in order to be able to achieve that and achieve that milestone and make that happen so a lot of times when talking with my students and talking with them about life and life mastery skill sets I use construction terms so that they're able to become more familiar with construction terminology. So then when we start talking about projects, it's, it's very easy for them.
1: Oh, I love that approach. And, and it was like, I think people like mentally have to get their head around what they can relate it to. I think the your approach to relate it to their personal life is a great bridge to getting the vernacular, the vocabulary, because construction is a ton of jargon and, Lots of acronyms. And I'm kind of of shocked. We haven't used any acronyms yet, so I'm just going to throw out some (laughs) acronyms now. CPM. We've been talking about critical path method scheduling. Like We're dancing around it, but that's what we're talking about. (laughs) On the projects where you come in to be part of the cleanup, what what do you see in the schedules that's like a consistent (laughs) error that that happens every time you're in a cleanup mode? What's one thing that that schedule misled people to or was used incorrectly?
0: (laughs) There usually is not a schedule. Like there usually is not a good schedule or anything that they've even remotely stuck to. And this is, um, I will tell you, this is one of the very first lessons that I learned. And again, I was a uh, animal science student from Texas a and I did not have any formal construction experience. They brought me in out of the field, put me uh, as a field engineer underneath a, a very young uh, CM from Chico State. And I just remember the very first thing that I learned was at every meeting, he had a three-week look ahead. And in that three-week look ahead, we literally went out on the job site, we took pictures, we identified where the tasks and activities were in that three-week look ahead, and we added it to our meeting minutes. And after that project was done, There was absolutely no way that the contractor was ever going to get a change order in reference to delay on that project because he had documented everything that had taken place, the lack of manpower, the lack of material or or procurement of materials being on the job site and documented it very easily on a three week look ahead, which showed where we were three days behind or three days ahead and what was gonna be down the road and to me a 3 week look ahead is probably one of the most valuable scheduling tools that you can provide because it also gives the superintendent a requirement or responsibility to look at the drawings ahead of time to give the architect some time to be able to resolve potential issues or problems that arise in the drawings when someone takes the time to look ahead of what it is that they're going to be performing but the biggest failure is that they haven't stuck to a schedule and and they haven't done any kind of. Uh, we 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 don't use the word recovery schedule, right? Because that means litigation. As soon as we say that, but using that baseline and then being able to work from that baseline and update it where is necessary is one of the biggest issues that I have in those projects that I come on to rescue.
1: Yeah, I like that. And Corey, I mean, it's sad that that's happening. I like it that we have you and I have the same opinion on that. So you know, rah, rah, we're just getting closer. The more you talk, the more aligned <laughs> I'm getting to you. And and you're talking about some behavioral types of things and some habits. So that, that CM that was documented, they've probably been burned in the past and, and tried to win and lost, and then learned some hard lessons and changed their habits. You know, what what do you wanna say about the changing behaviors? Because so far we've talked about construction managers, project managers, superintendents, and each of those three roles typically have unique sets of culture and behaviors. What do you do, like if you're on a project now, like who's who's a good person that you'd like to work with and specifically on changing behaviors?
0: Yeah, it would be superintendents for sure. It would be superintendents, but it's not their fault, right? I mean, they've been put in a position with so much stress and anxiety that they literally have to get it done. And the only way they know how to do that is being short, curt and in your face. So pretty much pound sand, you just need to do what I say, move on, and we'll get through this project. And it's unfortunate, because it it takes away their ability to be able to humanize what it is that they're doing. And they can't develop relationships with people that are on the job site, because that's the person who they're trying to tell what to do on a daily basis. And it just it's just not fair. And and so I feel that uh, there's a lot of companies out there that are really starting to see the necessity of being able to bring community and culture into their organizations. And there's a lot of really good training that's taking place that is helping in the development of relationships And those developments of that relationship and that teamwork allows a little bit more breathing room for those superintendents to not have to be that way all the time, but having more focus about specific roles and responsibilities and for everyone to understand the roles and responsibilities of everyone else you're you just can't know yours and what your job is on on the project you have to understand why that superintendent is asking you to do that because when you promote to a superintendent you are going to be asking those same questions and so as a, a field engineer or a construction manager is there any that I can learn right now about why and how they're asking me to do that that can improve them that can improve their work and make it easier on them so many times we look at it short-sighted where well need to know basis you don't really need to you know you're a laborer you don't need to look at the drawings you know you're a carpenter you just need to frame it And when you do that, people work in a box. And there's a lot of really smart people in the construction industry that have really great critical thinking, uh, innovative problem solving skills that could really end up promoting uh, acceleration on a job and come up with better ideas and things if you would just let them in as part of the communication and collaboration.
1: Yeah, seconded, a strong seconded. I remember being on a a project corey and it was a traditional project and we had we had to do a project recovery and uh we're in a meeting revamping the schedule starting backwards just like you said and the painter said like hey this detail that you're doing you can do this instead and just change one of the steps and that change ended up saving four weeks off of the schedule and had we not created the environment where the painter could speak up and offer that up we never would have gotten it and then I mean, the result for that, I think, if my math is is right, that saved those six contractors more than $35,000 of direct labor cost that they could just have. Like, we didn't have to do anything, right? That's just enhancement for them as part of the recovery. And then it changed the trajectory of that project. But in that changing behavior for superintendents, like you're, you're, you're kind of hinting at some of these soft skills, Corey, what what's uh you know one of the ways or what are what are some of the topics that you engage superintendents on for changing their behavior so that they don't have to be that that grumpy, gruff, do a my way, pound sand, which are all like things that I hear at construction projects every day. <laughs> by the way, people.
0: Well, we start with Kumbaya and we play air supply and we put them in a room in a closet. <laughs> you know, it's just um Corey,
1: i got to stop you right there because Brent Darnell, who's been on the show uh, in season one, shout out to Brent, has a video on YouTube where they do just that and he has people (laughs) meditating. It's like a, it's a parody. (laughs) I want to find the link to Brent's YouTube video and put a a link in the description below so the people that don't know what those references are, they can see construction people doing exactly that. Keep going, Corey.
0: Yeah, it's just, um, you know, it sounds... It sounds a little out there and it sounds a little woo-woo. And so this is something that I am trying to bring into the construction industry just to make it a little bit more normal so people understand. But, you know, meditation is a good thing. It is something that can help open our heart, open our blood veins, be able to allow stress and anxiety to release. So we actually internalize and hold on to things in our organs that start generating chronic illness within us when we hold on to those stresses on a daily basis. And so what we're trying to do with our human design behavior comprehension and soft skill development in construction management online is develop opportunities that use technical construction concepts and help people understand how to implement soft skill development in that. And it's not just about you talking to someone nicer. It's about you understanding the value of your life and what you're doing and how you can be a role model for someone else and being able to to display that. And so we do some meditation, but a lot of it is just understanding emotional intelligence and understanding um, the science that we do have behind it, the data and science that allows our brain and our heart to actually have a very direct connection. So our brain is going to be used more articulately and intelligently It's going to be seeing things through a perspective lens, but our heart is going to be working with intuition. And this is often something that men are missing because they've blocked it out because they are constantly going to be working with what their perspective lens and their intellect tells them needs to be done they're not going to lean on something that possibly their heart or their gut is telling them and it's it's just because men and women are different and there is absolutely nothing about the two of us that should be the same we we ex we are really strong in our own skill sets. And that's a good thing. And so, but it doesn't mean that men can't practice it and then be able to get better at it and include it in some of their daily uh, work opportunities. That's some
1: good stuff there. and You're reminding me of some old research. I remember psychological safety came to mind. Definitely the lead construction principle of respect for people comes to mind for sure. And it, and I just tell people it starts with you. And Mm -hmm. so I think, Corey, helping people make that connection, becoming more aware of their own feelings and that it takes longer to talk about than to actually experience. And so but it gives you such an edge when your emotional intelligence is higher, your ability to affect change and change behaviors and lead people on complex projects.
0: But it's very hard in construction, right? Because this is, this is looked at as a vulnerability. This is looked at as a weakness. And even in this new world of change that we're trying to um, have inclusion and equity and um, diversity in in what we're doing in the construction world, we're causing some of our own problems when we're doing that. We're causing resentment for people to feel as though they may be more qualified for a position, but someone else may be gaining that position based on DEI instead of whether or not that person really deserves to be in that role, which in construction, we have to be very careful about, right? Because they have to know what they're doing in order to stay safe and to keep other people in the construction industry safe. But when we start talking about some of these heartfelt topics or things that may expose us or make us more more vulnerable, it's that same situation of going back to what you talked about, about industry knowledge. We don't share industry knowledge with other people because we've been taught by evidence that that younger person will take our job if we show them what we know and what we can do. So we hold it very close to our heart and we don't allow that information out and we keep it all to ourselves. And so The construction industry has kind of built this steel box around the situation that we put ourselves in and so we just need to be uh, more aware and be better at assessing what we need to do to be able to change situations in order to be able to help people feel more comfortable, definitely to be accountable, not to go in with any kind of victim mode or anything that uh, is somebody else's responsibility. We're responsible for ourselves. we're responsible for our job. We're responsible for our learning. And so taking that accountability is what's really going to push you and accelerate your professional and personal career.
1: Absolutely. people, if you're watching the show on YouTube or if you're following along at your favorite podcast app, come back and click on that description so that you can get a hold of Corey or myself and feel free to direct message us your questions and comments. Cause Corey, we're, we're air, we're blowing a hole in this steel box
2: and we're going <laughs> to let,
1: uh, we're going to let people look into this, to this box and see exactly what knowledge. And we've got the, I think we're two people that are very aligned on sharing so that other people can you know, walk in our footsteps in a safe way and still have those professional development experiences. We're not gonna shortchange someone learning, but at the same time, Corey and I, I think we're agreed that we're not gonna throw you in the deep end of the pool and cross our fingers and hope you don't drown.
0: <laughs> that's can, how my dad did it. So I hope that that's not what I what's going to happen here. But I definitely believe that when when we have the confidence that we do, and we know where we're at in our season and in our journey, that what's going on in the workforce. It is a place where we can share and we can be able to give that information back to other people. I know no one can do it like I can, and that's the confidence that everyone needs to have. We all have different journeys, and and we all have different perspective lenses and how we've gotten to where we are today, and there's not a person out there who can do it the same way. I do. I really appreciate the opportunity to be able to bring this to light because the construction industry is easily the best place to be working and what I love so much about construction management is that literally you cannot know what you wanna do in life But if you went into construction management and you decided to go somewhere else, the skills that you learn in construction management are going to carry you on into that next industry. And then if you ever leave that industry, you still have something to fall back on. So it's always that contingency plan and having that understanding in place that you always are going to have a worthwhile skill. So it, ah, I just can't even say enough about yeah. construction. <laughs> now, Corey's
1: absolutely right, people. Like uh, I know you can't tell by the the black hair coming through on the video, but I have a <laughs> lot of gray hair in here, and I've been working in construction now for over 25 years. That has been, like Corey said, it's nothing but opportunity, and the experiences are are wild. So Corey, I want to ask you now. Like you've been teaching this CM to construction management, let I me mean not acronym it to death here. we been teaching construction management to students for a while. What surprised you in the classroom of some of the things that students either assume that they know or questions that they ask? You're just like, wow, I never would have thought that that could be a
0: question. <laughs> well, I think that the biggest thing that I learn in the classroom is that those who've been out in the field for quite some time and have been developing their industry knowledge, that there is a a belief that they can just cross over very easily into a construction management position, that their industry knowledge gives them the experience to be able to tell people how to do the work. And so this is probably the the worst misconception that I have. And uh, a lot of the students don't really understand all of the different roles and responsibilities of a construction manager. They understand that that construction manager usually has a degree and usually is beating them out in a promotion or an interview or something to that effect without the same hands-on experience. And so it's really important during those classes for them to understand, again, the roles and responsibilities of a construction manager and what they're required to do in order to be able to appreciate some of that when they're out in the field and you know, be able to ask the right questions that are going to generate their education while they're out in the field before they move on to a construction management role.
1: Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I know you would have thought about that, Corey. Like, and again, I've been in the business so long, you pick these things up over time, right or wrong, and then people coming in. They're not understanding like all that it entails because it's a lot of the work, especially in construction management, would be classified as knowledge work, and knowledge work tends to be invisible, so it's hard to see. Like the building is easy to see how things come together, for the most part, uh, but uh, the other type of knowledge work and the the work of management is mostly invisible. That well, doesn't and, leave it doesn't leave a lot of artifacts behind, right?
0: Right, and and I will say that the majority of my students are people who have been out in the field and want to promote to the office for a management position. And they want to do that for a couple of different reasons, either physically it no longer suits them and they want to move, or they had always always had the idea and intention to do that but they didn't go to college. And a lot of times this, this college thing where I have employers and people out there saying, you don't have to go to college. You don't need a degree in order to do this. I'm telling you, I have 70% of my students who would wish that someone had never said that to them because they go for the interview and the employer specifically says in the interview that they're looking for a degree in order to be able to promote to that Position, So they hit a ceiling. The reason why college is expensive is because people are not making the right choices in streamlining their college education and only taking courses that are applicable to where they want to end up. So in my personal opinion, this college transition, especially community college, gives these students who have been helicopter parented and who have had people holding their hand through a lot of situations in life, This two years allows them to be able to mature and grow where people who are my age or my dad's age had the military for two years or had some type of uh, tech school opportunity or vocational education in high school, which let them explore and decide which direction they wanna go. But most of these people entering the construction industry right now didn't like computers, they don't like to write, They don't like to uh, interact with people, and so they went into construction. Now, 20 years, 30 years after being out of school, when their mind is no longer in that pliable place of understanding the structure of education, they decide to come back to school, to be on computers, to write essays, and to have to interact with a bunch of people that they don't want to. It really becomes a mindset. And it really becomes an opportunity to be able to understand that it wasn't your fault in high school. It wasn't that you weren't smart. It wasn't that you didn't know. It's that your learning style was different than what fits in the box with 30 other students. And so knowing and understanding that and knowing your learning style and coming back to school and exercising your brain to become pliable to use your learning style to interpret information the way that is best suited to you is going to help you be able to move into that construction management role.
1: Yeah, you're totally right, Corey. When I was I went engineering school, electrical engineering, went right into construction. It might have been ten years before I read another book, and then that led to a bunch more learning. By the time I got my master's in business. I'd had a steady habit of, you know, reading a book a month and training myself to to be an instructor in a, a for a general contractor teaching skills for construction, other construction people. And at first it wasn't very good. It was not very good at all. And it, it like you said, it takes time to get the, the mind to to become pliable again and, and build those skills in. But I want to switch gears now and talk about social media for construction professionals. A lot of construction professionals are consumers of social media, but not creators of social media. Corey, what is your advice to people that are on the only receiving end?
0: You know, this is a hard one, right? Because I would love to be able to get a 10 second, 20 second clip of somebody walking the job site and being able to explain the different things that are going on on the job site. You know, I I showed up to the job site today and my framers were, Um, tying off on the roof or my um, cherry picker was over here getting ready for stucco it would be so cool to be able to see those but the liability that is associated with that is something that limits us to be able to have those real in live real world scenario type of situations and you know, without getting everyone to sign the paper and, and you know, make sure that everything's legal before they put something like that on social media. I would encourage that they, at the very least, provide what we call digital currency and be able to like and share things that really resonate with them. Things that they think are something that they would need to learn on uh, on a job site. Um, One of the things that I do is I try to keep a very short, but very specific and clear topic and just do like a a minute type of video. That's just a real quickie for someone. And I know that some people are looking at it going, oh, my gosh, there's so much more to that topic. Why doesn't she go into it deeper? Or um, there's uh, 10 other things that need to be talked about at the same time we don't have that kind of time when we're on a job site. I mean, literally, we really shouldn't have our phone with us when we're on a job site. And so the opportunity to be able to see a quick video or be able to hear something um, really quickly is something that I've been trying to do so that they're just like little short snips. But if anyone sees something that really resonates with them uh, as a content creator, It feels so good to have people even back channel you and say, wow, you're really doing a great job. I appreciate what it is that you're putting together. And as good as that feels, when you do it out in public and do it in front of the audience, it allows that material to be able to have more movement. And it makes a bigger statement for what we're trying to do. And that is show people that construction is an amazing industry.
1: Absolutely. And if you're watching this on YouTube, if you've enjoyed what Corey has shared, exercise your ability to give us feedback and tap that like button and make a comment so that we can engage with you, answer your questions, and uh, take the steel box down. Corey, I'm going to give you the last words for the audience. What is something you want to impart on people as they go off to their projects and, and embark on their construction management adventures?
0: Again, always have a master plan with the end in mind. You want to be intentional about the direction you're going because every little step that you take is going to calculate and and build on top of it and really have one big statement for you. Um, Education and personal growth, to me, are the biggest things that you could possibly do to invest in yourself and be able to put yourself in a place not just for construction, Your life is the most important thing that you will ever do. And your family is gonna be watching you. Your children are gonna be watching you. And people, friends are going to be using you as a role model. So you're always going to be out there. You're always gonna be in front of someone. So just always strive to be your very best and be intentional about it.
1: Very special thanks to my guest. I'm Felipe Engineer Manriquez. The EBFC show is created by Felipe and produced by a passion to build easier and better. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. Let's go build.